how can it be called good? Good Friday, what a name that we have given it. This was in fact the darkest day in all of recorded history. Gone are the palm branches and gone are the shouts of Hosanna. Absent are the smiling faces and hope-filled eyes and hearts set ablaze just days before. Instead, what we find is a crowd enraged with anger, spitting out hate, jaws gnashing, a people so stirred into a frenzy that they scream and they cry out for a man who had committed no crime to not only be sentenced to death, but to endure quite possibly the worst torture that mankind has ever concocted. This cannot be Good Friday. It is Dark Friday. The one whom John declared, behold, or look closely, for this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is being led like a lamb to the slaughter. The one who dreamed up galaxies, the one who put breath into Adam's lungs. The one who holds every solar system star and planet in its place by the word of his mouth. The one who told oceans how far they could go. Who lifted up mountains. Who told storms to be still. Who walked on water. The one who spoke to dead bodies causing them to live again. The very one who is the personification of love. He who left the city gates to reach out to the lepers, who went to the unclean, who went to the unlovely, the forgotten, and the abandoned, those others had rejected, the marginalized, the abandoned. He offered his mercy in his eyes, grace on his lips, and love flowing from his heart. The one who the vilest of sinners turned to and found healing from their past, and fishermen who followed in awe and wonder that he would want to be near them. This one, this perfect, sinless, spotless, holy one of God, sent by the Father, is stared in the face by broken humanity. Love is absent from their eyes and the contortions of their face is of astounding anger mixed with a frenzied rage. They stare at him carefully, intentionally, making sure that there is eye contact as they spit in his face. His beard is forcibly ripped, not strand by strand, but it's yanked out in chunks powerfully. He is jeered, mocked, and then forcibly beaten with an inch of his life. The very one who created every artery and vein, every nerve ending and sensory system that makes up our body was subjected to whiplashes intended to separate flesh from bone. Thorns that shaped a crown dug deep into his scalp and nails penetrated through his hands and feet. The holy one is intended to be shamed as he is stripped naked before his mother and his closest followers and is hung shamefully upon a tree as he is mocked, laughed at, jeered and spitted on by his very enemies. As he nears his death, creation itself responds as if to say and display what is happening. 
Darkness covers the earth. The air itself feels cold and lifeless. And the earth quakes. Creation, it seems to be screaming, stop. Do you understand what you're doing? Do you not know who this is? I ask you again, where's the good in this? Beauty is not seen. Truth is absent. Justice is abandoned. Love is replaced with seething hate and cruelty of the highest measure is poured out on a vast display. You see, history and humanity were then and they still are now forever tied to this moment of evil. For in the actions and the vile hearts of that frenzied crowd, we too, each of us in this room, we find our place. It was not just they who were shouting loud, crucify him. We too join our voices in unison with that vile chant. It is our hands that are stained with blood. And if we would look closer, we would find that both hammer and nail that penetrated his skin resting in our palms. The truth of the hymn that declares with startling and sobering reality, it was my sin that held him there is so true. It was our sin, our brokenness, our rebellion, our rejection of God. The hammer that day was the hammer of our cosmic treason that pounded the nails that separated his flesh and bone. And as Jesus' mother stands at the foot of the cross with her tears soaking the lifeless feet of her beloved son, I imagine she stopped there for a moment, sobbing and looking her face towards heaven, screaming out and crying, why God, why? You are why. And I am why. Where's the good news in Good Friday? Just as in the same manner that history, that humanity are forever tied to this moment of evil, so too is the gospel and God's love forever tied to this moment. Good Friday is good news because Jesus died for us. The crowd didn't know what they were asking and Pilate most certainly didn't know what he was doing. But as the frenzy of their hate grew to a level that was unimaginable and unexplainable, so too did the beauty and the love of the gospel increase in that moment. And it looked in a manner that seemed on the surface almost scandalous. Two men are presented to the crowd. One a murderer and one a king. One a vile sinner one a righteous man, one who had taken innocent blood and one who had rescued and redeemed guilty blood. On that day, it would be a day that he would forever remember Barabbas steps forward. This man was already sentenced to be beaten and was appointed to die that day. His cross already stood erect on Calvary's hill, ready and waiting for him. His judgment had already been declared. His sentence was just and true and good. He was to die that day for his many, many dark and evil sins. 
No one wanted him. All wanted him dead. His life and his actions had led him precisely to this moment. And justice was about to be thoroughly served and poured out upon him. When he woke up that morning in his cold, dark cell, there was no hope for this man. That day would be his last. That day would be the day that he would breathe his last. That day would be the day that he finally got what he deserved. That day, he was ready for the crowds to shout, crucify him. And as he's led out into this space between Pilate, something astounding happened. Because in that moment, in walked the gospel. What would be the darkest day of all humanity would be the greatest, most astounding day of Barabbas' life. Here he stood. He stood condemned. He stood guilty. He stood ready to face the penalty and the punishment of his crimes and rebellion. He knew the nails were waiting. He knew the whip was prepared. He knew the scourging was about to commence. The long walk of Golgotha faced ahead of him. And he knew that in just a few hours he would breathe his final breaths. But something astounding happened. He found himself standing next to both Jesus and his judge Pilate. And in one moment his entire life changed. The direction of his future would be forever altered, both of which had nothing to do with his efforts or deservedness. You see, in that moment, they switched places. He heard the Pilate, he heard Pilate declaring that Jesus was innocent. He heard Pilate say that he had found no crime that Jesus had committed, and yet somehow they switched places. In a moment that would have taken his breath away, Barabbas is set free and he's pushed towards the crowd. And I can't help but if for a moment he turned back to look going, what is happening here? This doesn't make sense. In that moment, everything that was justly due and prepared for him that was ready to be released upon him was fully transferred to Jesus. His penalty was removed and placed upon Christ. His punishment was inflicted upon Jesus instead of him. And the death that he was due for his crime was transferred to an innocent man. As the guilty one walked away free, the innocent one absorbed the full cost of his sin, his crimes, and his evil. And Jesus would fully absorb all that was due Barabbas into himself. I can't help but wonder, did he follow Jesus the rest of that day? Did he stand close by at the gate to see and hear the sounds of the whip that was intended for him? Was he near the cross as the sound of steel ripped through our Savior's flesh that he knew was meant for his own? Was he there with the screaming cries of our Lord as that sound of steel that was supposed to go through his hands was inflicted upon Jesus instead? As most everyone had left, was he here nearby to hear Jesus cry out, 
paid in full from his dying breaths? Did he listen and did he hear the last sound as Jesus' breath ceased, knowing that that was the moment that his breath was supposed to cease? Did he witness the wonder, the beauty, the power, and the goodness of what the gospel actually cost, knowing all along that what he witnessed was what he deserved? You see, Good Friday is Good Friday because God bound himself to Good Friday. God, in his love, bound himself to Good Friday in the same manner that we bound ourselves to that moment with our sin. In the same manner that humanity tied its vile actions at the cross, so too did God tie himself, his heart, his justice, his wrath in the gospel to that central location that day. Please hear me. Barabbas was not an exception, nor was he an anomaly. He was the point. For I hope that you see now today that you are Barabbas and I am Barabbas. We stand before the Father, the true and great judge. We stand guilty. We stand condemned. We stand deserving of death. We stand just as Barabbas did that day, as guilty sinners, rebels, and deserving just punishment to fully be meted out onto us. God, by his very nature, is good and just. He cannot ever let a single sin go unpunished. The full weight of his wrath and judgment must be poured out on sin. Otherwise, he cannot be called good and just. And that leaves us in a predicament. Predicament that Good Friday answered. And so on the cross, Jesus didn't just willingly switch places with Barabbas. He switched places with Not just for Abbas, but for all who would call upon his name, he chooses to switch places with. So Good Friday is called good because on the day when all of humanity stood before the throne room of God, God's full measure of justice, punishment, judgment, and wrath, they were poured out fully, but they were poured out on Jesus and not on you and not on God bound himself to Good Friday. He tied himself to this moment in history because of his great love for you and for me. We don't know what happened with Barabbas. We don't know the end of his story. But we have an example that is left for you and for me as well. That lingers also with the central point that Jesus' life was not taken. It was given. And that is why today we gather together to celebrate Good Friday. Because on Good Friday, the good news is that Jesus died and he was poured out for each of us. We're going to do something in this moment in just a second. I'm going to ask you to come forward. We have the elements of communion up here. There's 
two cups. The bottom cup has the bread, the top cup has the juice. In just a second, I'm gonna ask you to find your way up, you and your family, if they're with you. Grab the elements of communion and head back to your seats. We're gonna take them together as we bring this message to a close in just a second. But I wanna give us just a few moments of pause. As we take this and as we head back to our seats, a few moments of prayer as we remember today the great cost of the good news, as we remember today what was truly given so that we could have life and hope, that we could, in prayerful and solemn remembrance, remember what Christ has done, and then in just a few minutes, we will take the elements together. But if you would, if you would just slowly find your way up, receive the the elements and take it back to your seat. sin go unpunished he would not be able to be called good or just in the same manner that if you had a loved one who was murdered and you went before a judge and that judge let that person off for murder scot free you would look at that judge and say how dare you you are not good you are not just you see the reality is is that the wrath that is due us our sin On that day, Jesus switched places with you. 
He who lived a sinless life, who was perfect, who was innocent, who had never committed a single sin, who reached out to the lepers, who loved the lost, he switched places with you. And in that moment, God the just judge fully, completely, totally transferred the sentence that was due you upon our Savior. For all who would come to him, all who would rely upon his name, all who would find themselves in Christ on that day, the true and just and good judge stepped into the courtroom and said, I will take their place. You see, the truth is this, that Jesus' life was not taken, it was given. This was not a fast one that Pilate and the leading religious leaders pulled on Jesus. It wasn't happenstance that Barabbas was set free and it wasn't coincidence that Jesus was crucified. He was willingly laid down his life for you and for me on the very night that he would be betrayed. Jesus celebrated the Passover with his closest of friends. This was a meal that celebrated God's deliverance of all of his people from their bondage of slavery in Egypt and God bringing them into freedom. But this freedom was also tied to God's judgment upon Egypt. This meal celebrated the fact that judgment had passed over them because they were hidden behind doorposts stained with lamb's blood. As you hold the elements in your hand, I want you to do something with me. I pray that you would take a moment and think about this meal from the eyes of Jesus. He sits at the table. It's probably a bit of a rowdy crew and they're talking and discussing and going back and forth. But Jesus is a little bit more solemn than usual because he knows what's awaiting him. Here he sits at this meal, at this table that's meant for freedom. He looks across the room and he scans and he looks deeply into the eyes of those he loves. He reaches down and he takes the bread. It had been unleavened bread. It been more like a cracker. It had been bread that whenever you break it, there's a, there's a cracking sound. There's a harshness to it as it snaps. And Jesus said, he, he looks and he's taking this meal and he's, he's trying to show those that he loves something like never before. And he's looking at them and he's trying to detail to them what he's about to do, what he's about to accomplish for them, how he is about to switch places with them. And he looks at Peter and he looks at James and he looks at John and he looks at these men that he spent time with. He breaks the bread in half and he holds it up and he looks at them and he says, this is my body. It's going to be broken for you. In that moment, they didn't really fully understand what he was talking about, but he did. He knew that in just a few hours, whip that contained fishing hooks, shards of bone, metal balls would lacerate his flesh and with each blow he would take upon himself what was deservedly for you and for me 
so he looks at them and he looks at you and he looks at me today and he says to all my sons and daughters I'm still broken for you I'm broken so that you can be whole I'm broken so that in the midst of your brokenness you can have and inherit what I deserve you see on that day that Barabbas transferred and switched places with Jesus just as in the same manner that every crime that was due Barabbas was placed upon Jesus, Jesus' complete and full innocence was placed upon Barabbas. The man who had just been in chains walks free, scot-free, because he inherited what Jesus deserved. And as we come to our Savior, we place our faith in his brokenness absorbs your brokenness in mind. Every sin you've ever committed is absorbed into our Savior in his perfect life. We inherit. Today, would you take and eat of the bread together? Father, we give you thanks for your body broken. God, we give you thanks that you are broken for us, Jesus. And that because of that great price, we are free. Jesus, it's not something we've ever deserved or we could ever earn. It's something that you have freely given to us. Through your body broken for us. And Lord, today we remember and we eat and remember in your name. Amen. Savior picks up the cup. We've been full of wine. A deep shade of red. A memory to the Jews of that blood of the lamb that covered the doorposts. The blood that they hid behind and that death had passed over. And he lifts the cup looks at those again, those he loves. Our entire lives is spent trying to keep blood in us. Our entire lives, whenever we have a cut, the first thing we do is we move with the most speedy haste that we can to guard the wound, to keep that blood that is so precious in us. It is the most natural of human tendencies to guard it, to protect it, and to keep it in us. And Jesus looks at those he loves, and he lifts the cup, and he looks down at, that, at that, that wine, and he looks at it, and he sees, and he knows what's about to happen. He knows that almost every ounce of his blood will be poured out on the cross. And he looks at those he loves, and he's, he scans the room, and again he looks him in the eyes, and he says, this cup is the new covenant paid for in my blood. He says, this blood is given for you. You and I, we've received a lot of gifts in our lives. But none like this cup. None like the perfection that took the cost that was due you and me 
in its place poured out healing upon our life. As they're about to take it, I just can't help if Jesus paused for a moment as he looks down at that liquid, knowing that very soon he will see it coming from his hands with nails, coming from his side with a spear. It'll be dripping from his brow from the crown of thorns. so many times in my life I've, I've looked at Christ and I said, God, I don't feel worthy enough. Barabbas wasn't worthy enough. But Jesus said, I'll take your place. We talked about it on Sunday that value is instilled by the great cost. Can I just tell you something? Listen to me. The Savior looked at your life and mine and he looked at you and he looked at me and he said, To all who will call upon my name, you're worth me giving every ounce, every drop of blood. And so at that meal, the disciples didn't really fully realize just in that moment, just yet, that Jesus was saying that that passing over of death is for all those who will find themselves hidden in my blood. And as his followers, he tells us to take this and do this in remembrance of Today, we do this in remembrance. Today, we pause, we celebrate. Jesus, we give you thanks. Jesus, every aspect of our life has been consumed with and contemplating, keeping our blood in us, protecting our life, but yet you let it flow freely. You gave of your was your blood that washes us clean, that purifies us and makes us white as snow. Father, today, we take the cup, we drink it in remembrance of all that you've done. so undeserving and yet you switched places with us. You are worthy, God. Worship you. How can Good Friday be called good? It's good because he was given for Not because of our deservedness, not because of anything we could ever do to earn or any good act we would do from that moment forward. But because the Savior, the King of the universe, willingly looked at you and me, willingly looked at Barabbas and said, I will freely switch places with you. As we leave this room today in just a minute or two, We leave in the same manner that Barabbas left. We walk away free, deserving death. We walk away declared as innocent by a judge, even though we weren't. We walk away inheriting a life that we don't deserve, but that is freely given to us because Jesus absorbed everything 
that was deserved to us upon the cross. That is why today is Good Friday. And that is why we celebrate. We're going to close the service out in this manner. There's background music that is playing. I'm going to encourage you to find just the spot here in your seat. If you want, you can come to the altar. But we're going to end very quietly, very solemnly. No formal dismissal. If you want to pray as a family, feel free to do so. If you want to pray as a couple, feel free to do so. If you just want to find a spot somewhere in the room to take some time to contemplate the great price of this day, I would encourage you to do that. But we walk out of here today as free people. And I would encourage you today to take a moment to give praise and honor to your Savior who willingly switched places. So let's do that. Again, there will be.